section five of a picture book of merry tales by anonymous this librivox recording is in the public domain section five chapters twenty one through twenty five chapter twenty one how owlglass frightened an innkeeper at eisleben with a dead wolf in the depth of winter owlglass put up at an inn in eisleben where one evening there also arrived three merchants from saxony on their way to nuremberg they related how they had been attacked by a wolf against which they had much difficulty in defending themselves and that this disagreeable adventure had considerably delayed them the host who was a bragging sarcastic sort of a person joked them much about their adventure declaring that it was a shame they should allow themselves to be delayed by a miserable wolf that for his part if he were attacked by two wolves he would soon drive them off but here three were frightened by one wolf this continued all the evening till the merchants went to bed owlglass in the meantime remaining silent but turning it over in his mind how he could best play mine host some trick to pay him off for his bragging the merchants and owlglass shared the same bedroom and when the former discussed among themselves how they could repay the mocking of the innkeeper owlglass said he had been thinking it over and that if they would leave it to him he would engage that they should hear no more about the wolf the merchants readily agreed promising a handsome reward if he paid their tormentor off well and owlglass then proposed that they should continue their journey and all meet again there on their return early the next morning the merchants paid the reckoning for owlglass as well as for themselves and rode on their way mine host calling after them to beware lest a wolf should cross their path owlglass also took his departure and went on the chase after a wolf he succeeded in killing one which he left out in the cold till it was frozen quite stiff and when the merchants returned he put his prize in a sack and taking it with him joined them at the inn as agreed upon the innkeeper again teased his guest about the wolf talking very big of how he would act when the merchants went to their bedroom owlglass joined them and said my good friends keep your candle burning and do not go to bed yet for we will have some sport this night now as soon as all the household had gone to bed owlglass fetched the dead wolf which was hard frozen and taking it to the kitchen placed it near the hearth supporting it with sticks so that it stood upright at the same time opening its jaws in which he put a child's shoe then quietly returning to his room he called loudly for something to drink when the innkeeper heard this he grumbled at being disturbed and calling up the maid told her to get some beer for his guests the maid went to the fire in the kitchen to light a candle and seeing the wolf with its jaws wide open rushed out into the yard thinking the brute had surely devoured the children owlglass and the merchants continued to call for drink and the innkeeper thinking the maid had gone to sleep again called the man he went to the fire to light a candle and when he saw the wolf thought it had made away with the maid so he too ran out into the yard the shouting for drink still continuing the innkeeper thought the man must be asleep as well as the maid and grumbling like a bear he himself got up 
as soon as he had lighted a candle he saw the wolf with the shoe in its jaws and running to the merchant's room trembling with terror cried out come and help me my dear friends for there is a frightful monster in the kitchen which has devoured my children maid and the manservant they went with him the girl and the man came from the yard and the wife brought the children all were alive owlglass then went up to the wolf which he turned over with his foot and it did not stir then turning to the innkeeper said what an arrant coward you are it is not long ago that you said you were ready to fight two wolves and just now you ran away trembling and shouting from a dead one the merchants made rare fun of mine host and the next morning after paying the bill took their departure with owlglass chapter twenty two the grateful animals good many years ago some boys in a village were having rare sport with a mouse which they had quite surrounded so that the poor little thing could nowhere escape for to whichever side it turned a heavy shoe or a stick threatened it with instant death the poor animal thought this no sport at all but the boys shouted with laughter as they saw it scamper and jump to avoid the blows aimed at it activity alone saved it from its tormentors but this was beginning to fail when fortunately a man came that way this man had more kindness in his heart than money in his pockets but with this he had one great fault for he was somewhat restless and fickle-minded which however on this occasion proved fortunate for the poor little mouse and eventually so for himself his restless disposition had driven him to travel poor as he was and thus he came to the village where witnessing the little creature's distress he released it by giving the boys a few halfpence and it instantly took refuge in a hole close by in his wanderings he came to another village where he saw a crowd of boys and i am sorry to say there were girls as well tormenting an inoffensive donkey which he saved from further molestation by again parting with a little of his scanty stock of money further on he reached another village where he released a bear from like persecution by giving more money not long after these adventures this good man himself got into trouble and was condemned by a cruel judge to be put into a box with only a jug of water and one loaf of bread and thus thrown into the river though i assure you he was quite innocent you may imagine his distress for he was not very comfortable in his box nor could he see where he was being carried to when all at once he felt the box grating against the ground and then heard a nibbling at the lock which after a while gave way and when he raised the lid was delighted to see his three friends the mouse the ass and the bear who now helped him in return for his kindness to them they were not satisfied with merely saving his life for they knew that he was poor and had moreover spent some of his money to save them so they were consulting together what they could do for him when the bear espied a white stone come floating along nothing could happen more fortunate the bear cried for here comes the lucky stone and whoever has that will have all his wishes fulfilled on the instant 
the man hearing this seized the stone as it was passing and wished himself in a palace with every comfort and luxury surrounded by beautiful grounds and the next instant all was as he had wished now dazzled by so much splendour and happy beyond anything he had ever dreamt of he forgot his friends the mouse the ass and the bear though i have no doubt he would have thought of them sooner or later and wished them with him but before this fault was remedied misfortune came upon him it so happened that some merchants passed that way and seeing a magnificent palace where before there had only been barren land they were seized with wonder and curiosity so they went in and asked the owner how he had worked such a truly wonderful change i had only to wish for it was the answer they marvelled at this as well they might and being told that it was by means of the lucky stone his wish had been fulfilled they offered all their merchandise for the stone our friend whose head it must be confessed was not as good as his heart seeing so many beautiful things agreed to the bargain at once without thinking that he need only wish and he could have all those and more beautiful things he gave the merchants the stone and it was no sooner out of his hands than he found himself in his former position which was rendered worse when he compared all the splendour and comfort he had lost to his ugly comfortless box with only a jug of water and one loaf his friends however did not desert him in his distress but this time they could not open the box and after consulting the bear said i see we cannot do any good without the lucky stone so let us go to the palace where the merchants now live and try to get it this was agreed upon and when they got there they held another council the bear seems to have had the wisest head for he was again spokesman and said it is useless for us to expect to be let in here but you my friend mrs mouse you can creep through anywhere see there is just a little hole at the bottom of the door go in and as only one of the merchants is now at home worry him in every possible way for you can always manage to escape and when you have worked him into a perfect fury lead him here to the door and no doubt he will open it to rush out after you then we too will go in and easily master him between us only you take care to find out where he keeps the stone the mouse got through the hole in the door without difficulty and after finding out where the stone was went in search of the merchant whom she found in bed she crept in at the bottom and began nibbling at his toes the merchant jumped up in fright but when he saw the mouse his fright turned to rage and he made a snatch at it but the little thing was too quick for him and now began a chase all round the bedroom round every table and chair and into every corner of the next room and finally into the hall where jumping up and biting him in the calf of the leg in order to exasperate him still more she slipped through the hole she had got in at the merchant threw open the door and the bear who was ready greeted him with the closest embrace they rolled down together but the bear soon hugged all the breath out of him and leaving him in charge of the donkey went with the mouse to fetch the stone 
no sooner had they this in their possession than the three went off regardless of the confusion they left behind them they soon reached the water-side but the box was floating in deep water and the donkey said in despair we shall never get at it the bear however cried nonsense leave that to me i can swim well enough so you donkey just put your forefeet round my neck and take the stone in your mouth but mind you don't swallow it and you my little friend can make yourself snug somewhere in my long hair all being satisfactorily arranged off they went but were destined to meet with a misfortune on their journey for the bear who was rather fond of hearing himself talk could not refrain from expatiating on the past adventure we manage that pretty well i flatter myself what is your opinion my long-eared friend and as the donkey made no answer he continued how is this i was always taught that a civil question deserves a civil answer but this does not seem to enter into your notions of politeness who taught you manners my friend the donkey could stand it no longer but opened his mouth and out fell the stone plop into the water there you see what comes of your talking could you not wait till our work was finished how could i open my mouth without losing the stone and now it is gone and with it all hope of helping our friend well well my good fellow the bear interrupted him for he was not anxious to hear any more as he felt himself in the wrong a moment's action is better than an hour's regret i have a bright idea that will put all right again let us go back and i'll set about it at once on the way back the bear called up all the frogs that were in those parts and said to them fetch me up as many stones as possible from the bottom of the water for i have an idea of building you a place of refuge in case of danger a loud croaking was immediately heard which called the frogs from all parts and they set about collecting stones without loss of time it was not long before the lucky stone was added to the heap which the bear immediately seized and telling the frogs that there were now stones enough the three friends started off again they soon reached the box which now opened without difficulty and the poor prisoner was relieved but only just in time for the loaf of bread was consumed and he began to suffer from want as soon as he had the stone in his hand he wished himself back in the palace which he found just as he had left it this time he did not forget his friends and they lived happily together to the end of their days now does not this story prove that an act of kindness meets with its reward and that the ungrateful are worse than the brute beasts for our three good animals effectually showed their gratitude chapter twenty three tim jarvis tim jarvis was as decent and hard-working a man as any one could wish to know till the evil spirit got astride his imagination tim was not only a decent hard-working man but recollected his early lessons that the evil one should be resisted with might and main nor was it during the day that the enemy at first attempted to gain any advantage but it was at night that he mainly worked upon his mind by means of dreams night after night he dreamed of treasures of gold and precious stones that were to be found first in one place and then in another 
till it grew too much for him and his waking hours were scarcely different to dreaming he was now found digging anywhere but in his garden or potato field and indeed his dreams led him all the way from ireland to london bridge with his spade across his shoulder now when poor tim was on london bridge he felt himself more puzzled than ever he had been in his life he was quite bewildered by the confusion and noise and being pushed from one side to another but after a while he began to recover himself and as he walked up and down first on one side and then on the other he tried the ground with his spade but quite accidentally like or as if it were a walking stick for he was wide awake for sure he said to himself i'm not going to let so many people suspect what treasure is lying under their feet he was encouraged by the hollowness of the sound but then again his spirit sank for he found no spot where his spade could make the slightest impression nay he doubted whether he could stick a pin in anywhere so hard were the stones when it had grown dark and the bridge was still crowded he began to fear that all the people were there for the same purpose as himself but he was determined that he would tire them out and indeed the numbers did gradually decrease st paul's had just struck twelve when a stranger stopping just in front of our friend said well tim you have come a long way but you might have done better nearer home you know tim the lane that runs at the back of your cabin and you know the old wall for i've seen you digging under that many a night well tim you were in the right road but too near home i've seen you turn sharp round that wall and crossing the big bog look longingly at the heap of stones behind the furze bush in terry o'toole's field yes sighed tim but it would have been more than my life was worth to dig there for though terry knows well that his whole field is nothing but ugly stones he would murder man woman or child who stuck a spade in any part of the ground the big baste true for you tim the stranger said but the gold is there after these words the stranger was gone as suddenly as he had appeared and poor tim was left more puzzled than ever maybe he said to himself it's to save me he is that he may have the diggin o london bridge all to hisself but then a sorrow a spadeful of earth could any one throw up here in all his life no it was to meet the stranger that i came all the way here without knowing it so now i'll go back to old ireland tim did go back and after selling his potato field bought the waste bit of land which o'toole was pleased to call a field what did tim care when all the neighbors called him mad or even when his wife threatened him because he sold the bed from under her to buy a new spade and pick for he knew it was troublesome ground he had to work in and no mistake when night came after he had all ready tim went to his new property and hard as the work was did not rest till the first gray of morning began to appear just then through a crack in the ground he thought he heard voices below he listened scarcely drawing his breath when all the breath was frightened out of him for he plainly heard we'll give tim a nice dance when he comes for our gold when he had recovered himself a bit he scrambled out of the hole as fast as possible 
and went home where he met with no over-pleasant reception from his wife a strange day that was which tim spent divided between rejoicing and trembling for he knew now for certain that gold was there but he knew too that there were some sort of beings to be dealt with and what were those beings his hair stood on end as he pictured some frightful monsters to himself but yet all must be risked to gain possession of the gold and he said it's mighty polite i'll be to the gentleman and i'm sure they won't harm a poor man over and over again he repeated what he should say to the gentleman and thus the day passed the most anxious day of his life he took care to arm himself with more than natural courage in the shape of a bottle of poteen of which he took a sup and then another and then a still longer one before he jumped into the hole in the darkness for night had come on he plainly saw a light shining through the crack in the ground as the night before so he immediately set to work and he had not thrown up many spades of earth when the ground gave way and he sank down he never knew how low nor could he ever recollect more than that he found himself surrounded by the strangest little beings who were all jabbering at once and seemed very angry he remembered that he made them his best of bows and gave them his fairest words when the tallest of them stepping forward addressed tim thus tim we see that you are a decent well-spoken and polite gentleman and in your case we will overlook our privacy being intruded on which you must look upon as a great favour and tis very much obliged i am to your honour and the other gentlemen and sure tis i that will never forget it but might i not make so bold as to tell you that i am a poor man and ask your honour whether you could not help me with a trifle there was a loud shout of laughter and then the same little fellow that had addressed him before said well tim we have plenty of the rubbish you all think so much of there take as much of the gold as you can carry tim saw that the ground was covered with guineas which he set to picking up as fast as he could stow them away and when he could not find room for one more he took both his hands full sighing that he must leave so many behind then the little people cried out go home tim jarvis but shut your eyes close or some mischief will happen to you he did as he was told and felt himself whisked through the air quicker than lightning some time after he knew that he no longer moved he ventured to open his eyes for he felt a mighty tugging at his hair he found himself by the side of the hole he had been digging and his wife who had grown tired of his strange ways of late was shaking him rather roughly lave the breath in me he cried and i will fill your apron with gold guineas he put his hand in his pocket but only pulled out a few yellow furze blossoms when he saw this tim was quite dejected and did not venture to answer a word to his wife's reproaches but allowed himself to be led home from that night he left off dreaming and taking again to his industrious hard-working habits soon made up for his past neglect and was not only able to buy back his potato field but became a happy flourishing man his wife used to say that it was only a dream about the little people and the gold for that certainly she had found him asleep 
but tim shook his head chapter twenty four the shoemaker and the dwarfs why do we read of so many shoemakers that were poor surely they must have lived in ireland but be that as it may we have to tell of another who though he was most anxious to fit all the world could find no customers till at last he had nothing left but just leather enough to make one pair of shoes he had been running about all day longingly looking at all the feet and wishing he might measure some one for his last pair of shoes but he returned having only worn out his own however with all his poverty he had a light heart and a good wife who was always ready to cheer him so he determined to make up the shoes in the very best style and putting them in his window trust to a purchaser he cut them out intending to begin his work early the next morning and went off to bed soon falling asleep imagine the good man's astonishment when on the following morning he found the shoes already made and in such a manner that he could not take his eyes off them he put them in his window though he could hardly make up his mind to part with them and half hoping to frighten purchasers away he set twice as high a price upon them as it had been his custom to charge however a customer was soon found and though it was with regret he parted with those masterpieces of work yet when he held so much money in his hand he was delighted for not only could he buy leather to make two pairs of shoes but he could get his wife a few necessities she had been long obliged to dispense with that evening he cut out two pairs of shoes ready for the next morning when on getting up he found those finished with workmanship no less excellent than that of the night before for these also customers were speedily found at equally good prices as the previous pair and that night the shoemaker cut out four pairs of shoes which he again found made to perfection the following morning thus it went on the work that was prepared at night being finished by the morning so that our good friend soon became a flourishing man but he and his wife remained as simple in their habits as of old preferring to spend what they could spare on their more needy neighbours curiosity seems part of a woman's nature and the shoemaker's wife certainly felt very curious to see who their friends were that did the work so beautifully and so she proposed to her husband that they should hide themselves and leaving a candle burning watch for their nightly visitors they did so and at midnight saw two dwarfs come in who immediately set to work left for them stitching and hammering away so fast that the shoemaker felt quite bewildered by their rapidity not one moment did they stop but worked on till all was finished and disappeared long before daylight now if the shoemaker's wife was curious she was kind-hearted as well and was much grieved to see that such good industrious little fellows should be so neglected by their families and friends for they had not a stitch of clothes on when it was winter too had they no wives or no sisters to look after their comfort and she proposed to make them a decent suit of clothes each the good man was delighted at the proposal so she bought the stuff and gave herself but little rest till she had made them a coat waistcoat and a pair of trousers each as near their shape and size as she could guess 
as soon as finished the clothes were left for them instead of the customary work and the shoemaker and his wife again watched their coming about midnight they appeared and when they found the clothes in place of their usual work they stood for a moment irresolute and then took up each article examining it on all sides they then began to try on the things not without making several mistakes for one of the little fellows had got his arms into the legs of the trousers whilst the other was putting on the waistcoat over the coat but at length they were dressed and having examined each other and then themselves they were so delighted that they set to capering and dancing about the room and playing all manner of antics jumping over the chairs and tumbling over head and heels till at last they danced out of the room hand in hand they did not appear again but the shoemaker continued to prosper and became a rich man he and his wife being respected and loved by all who knew them chapter twenty five the countryman and the jew there was once a farmer a great miser and he had a servant as simple as he himself was close for he had served his master three years without being offered any wages or asking for any after three years however the man thought he would not work any longer without pay so he said to his master i have worked for you diligently and faithfully and hope you will now give me a fair reward for my services knowing that this man was a great simpleton the farmer gave him three pence saying i not only reward you fairly but splendidly here is a penny for each year but now that you are rich do not squander your money and get into idle habits the poor fellow thought he was rich indeed so determined that he would not work and slave any longer but travel and enjoy himself with his fortune in his purse and his purse safely in his pocket he set out and as he was going along singing merrily a little dwarf came up and asked him why he was so merry why should i not be merry he answered for i am rich and have nothing to do but to enjoy myself i have worked hard for three years and saved all my earnings and how much might they be the little man asked when told that the amount was three pence he said he was very poor and begged hard for the money the countryman did not make him ask long and cheerfully gave him his three pence when the little fellow said you have a kind and generous heart and shall not suffer for your liberality you shall have three wishes which shall be granted you one for each penny the countryman was highly rejoiced and said many thanks my good friend for your offer and first of all i would like to have a gun which will bring down everything that i shoot at and secondly i choose a fiddle to which when i play every one must dance whether he will or no these will satisfy me so i will not trouble you for a third wish at present your wishes are soon granted said the dwarf and gave him the desired gun and fiddle after which he went away our friend was happy before but now his happiness knew no bounds and he only wanted an opportunity to try his fiddle for the gun he had already tried several times as he walked along the desired opportunity was not long wanting for he soon met a jew 
and just where they met stood a tree on one of the branches of which sat a plump wood pigeon i wish i had that bird said the jew could you not shoot it for me my friend oh that is easily done was the answer and the same instant the bird fell amongst some thorn bushes at the foot of the tree the jew crept in among the bushes to pick it up and no sooner was he in the middle than the countryman took his fiddle and played the sprightliest of jigs the first sound no sooner reached the jew's ears than he began to dance and as the tune went on he jumped and capered higher and higher at every leap he took leaving a piece of his clothes hanging to the thorns the thorns soon began to enter his flesh and in pain he cried out for heaven's sake leave off playing what have i ever done to deserve this what have you done said the countryman how many a poor wretch have you not ruined and the duty to avenge them has fallen upon me so i will just play you another tune and mind you dance well to it the jew then offered him money to give over but as his offer did not rise high enough he had to dance on till in despair and worn out by fatigue and pain he said he would give a hundred pieces of gold which he had in his purse as the purse was thrown down the countryman's heart was softened so he gave over playing took up the purse and went his way highly delighted with his day's work no sooner had he gone than the jew crept out from among the thorns half naked and his heart full of bitterness and revenge the loss of his money smarted even more intolerably than the wounds in his flesh and he soon hastened to the nearest judge to whom he complained how he had been robbed and ill-treated giving a description of his tormentor the judge could not refuse justice to the jew so he soon sent out his officers who soon caught the countryman and brought back he was put upon his trial the jew's evidence and the sorry plight he was in were too convincing to be got over though the defence was that the money had been given of his own account and not taken from him the countryman was condemned to be hanged he was led off to the gallows at once but just as the rope was about to be put around his neck he said my lord judge i cannot complain of the sentence passed upon me since my accuser swears that i robbed and ill-treated him and i only ask to have one favour granted me before i die anything excepting your life was the answer i do not ask my life but only that you will order my fiddle to be restored to me and allow me to play once more upon it no no for heaven's sake no cried the jew don't let him have that infernal fiddle my lord or misfortune will come upon the whole of us but the judge said his word has been given so he ordered the fiddle to be given to the prisoner the countryman no sooner had the instrument in his hands than he struck up a dance and at the very first note even the judge's feet began to shuffle about as he sat in his chair and as for the others they fairly danced in vain the jew caught hold of the clerk's desk for his legs flew out on either side and as the height of his capers was checked they only became the more frequent 
the judge's clerk the officers of the court the hangman as well as all the spectators were dancing with all their might and soon the judge himself danced out of his chair into the midst of them at first all seemed good humour and enjoyment and no one excepting the jew wished to check the general merriment but as it went on there were no bounds to the capers and there were cries of pain as one alighted on another's toes and cuffs and blows were exchanged as one jostled the other the jew who had broken away from his hold of the desk was the maddest in his capers and he shrieked for mercy the others soon joining in the cry begged the player to leave off but he fiddled away faster and faster till the judge promised him a free pardon the countryman said i already once earned the hundred pieces of gold and i deserve them now again for the dance i have played so pray my lord order the money to be restored to me or i must think that you are not yet satisfied the judge then said the money would be given him but the countryman without leaving off playing addressed all the other dancers thus you all hear how handsomely his lordship rewards me and i expect that each of you will show your gratitude for the amusement i have afforded you by a present each according to his means so anxious were all to put an end to the dance that every one offered what he could afford but the countryman said i did not hear the jew's voice now of him i have to request a full confession of how he came by the hundred pieces of gold until he has made his confession i must trouble you all to continue the dance all threatened the jew with instant death if he did not confess so the rogue was forced to condemn himself by confessing that he stole the hundred pieces of gold for which he was punished with as many stripes when the dance was over end of section five